Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Isn't it nice to be in air conditioning and also meeting together? Uh, if you're following the news at all, I have a lot of friends in West Virginia, and especially Virginia, that uh, from Ohio Valley area came that terrible storm late Friday night. that wiped out uh, 57 different units, shut down uh, heating and cooling, and the entire cities in a state of emergency is happening in several parts of Virginia, West Virginia. So just remember to pray for them. But here we are. And air conditioning is somewhat of a reunion. Uh, Ralph and Connie, so good to see you guys back and uh, have you with us again, uh, your home church, and uh, back from, uh, from your new home there in uh, Alexandria. I also saw Paul over here. Paul, I don't, we don't embarrass folks in our church, but I've eaten with you, and you don't worry about being embarrassed. So I'm messing with you, Paul. Paul and his wife, as you know, our church has been praying for Paul and his uh, bout with cancer and now his treatment. It was so just honored to have you and your lovely wife with us today. And it's kind of nice when we get dressed up and, and come here. So I've only known you from the restaurant. So, so glad to have you here. Now, many know Paul and his wife. And then, um, Dottie, I know you had a guest. I typically, we don't acknowledge our guests because we want you to feel a little bit uh, anonymity when you're here. But I've already met. And uh, Dottie, would you introduce your guest with us, please? Uh, did she? Did they already meet Bob? Bob, would you stand up? And uh, and Pat, would you stand up? Look at the Bobs. <laughs> that uh, you're, her, the reason I did that. Her husband's a UPS pilot. They just moved here two weeks ago, and we want you to follow the UPS route when you move to Falls of Rough, and to follow those couples as well. And I know you have a, at least one teenager, right? Do you have other two uh, two teenagers? We'll get them plugged right in as quickly as possible. So, so glad to have you uh, with us this morning. Thank you. You may be seated. I think Dottie Watson brings as many guests to our church as anybody that I know. And we're so grateful of uh, her influence or service on the board there at our local hospital. And uh, don't bring all the kids out of there. We like them dancing right here. That was cool today, uh, the grandkids. It was awesome. So, such a blessing. This past uh, week, I had the privilege of meeting with someone who recently came to Christ, he and his wife. And... And it's no stranger to our regular members of our church because you prayed uh, for Mike Thomas, and uh, who was saved, his wife was saved on Super Bowl and his uh, Sunday, and their 17-year-old son who just graduated from Breck High School. And uh, I was meeting with him this week, and Mike shared with me an unusual experience that he had. I'm going to ask Mike, where are you, Mike? Come on up here, Mike. Let me grab a, a mic here. And we'll do this interview style. I think it's, uh, let me make sure it's turned on. It takes a real smart person to turn these on. Thanks. Oh, just push the button at the bottom. Thanks, you. Thank you. Come on, stand over here, Mike. Mike, as you know, is a fireman and has been for, I want to say, 14 years. Am I, I'm probably starting with incorrect information. How many years have you been a fireman, Mike? Twelve. Twelve years. See, I was wrong right there. He has been. What You've also served overseas as a fireman working with the military. What countries were you in? Iraq, basically, where we was at. Okay. And, uh, but we travel around in Dubai and some other places in over Europe. Okay. Need experience. Yeah. Mike came to Christ uh, from a Jehovah Witness background, he and his wife and the family. And uh, when we were meeting this week, he shared with me 
something unusual. I think it happened at 1.30 in the morning while you guys were waiting for a fire to come up, but you had time to kill, and the Lord opened up a few doors. Tell me about what happened uh, with you and a fellow firefighter. Well, throughout the day, I was doing some of my uh, Bible school work. I was sitting in the office. We had a little office. Kind of alienated myself from the crew. I was trying to get this done. Just so much pressure to get all this information and wrote down and get my paper in. And uh, he come in and what are you doing? I, don't, I explained to him what I'm doing. He said, I heard, I heard, I heard. So then he left. And about 20 minutes later, here he comes. You still doing that? Yeah. Well, I got a question. So he started asking questions, and we got in kind of a, a discussion, as firemen usually do. They kind of have their own way of discussing things. But And they, it just continued on and continued on and continued on up till 1.30 in the morning because he kept coming in with the interruptions. I couldn't get my paper done. So as long as I was working on that paper, he was going to keep asking me questions. And, you know, they just realized to me that that God was doing something then and there, and I was so self-absorbed with what I needed to do. It took till 1.30 before the Lord woke, woke me up and had me ask the question, you know. I finally just, you know, said, you know, he's very dear to my heart. He's a friend of mine. I said, you know, I just simply asked him, he said, are you saved? And he said, you know, I went to church when I was a kid. He said, well, I don't know. He said, I was so young. And, and right then and there, it was just uh, being used by the Lord. It's so humbling to be in that front row seat and watch God's Word do what it's supposed to do in this man's life and in his heart. And from there, you know, he he kind of asked, you know, you know what, how do, what, what, what do we do to get saved? I said, you know, it's, it's simple. Just lay everything you've got, all your pressures, all your everything that's going on in your life that's beating you down. Lay it, lay it down on Christ. It's acknowledge that you're a sinner. So I'm no better. I'm in the same boat, Troy. I'm in the same boat you are. But I've went to Jesus. I've acknowledged I'm a sinner. I've asked for his forgiveness. I have faith in Christ that he was born and preached and died and raised for me, for our justification. And from that point, he, he teared up and he started praying. And that was, it was just a wonderful, wonderful thing for to upbuild me. And, and God just, just to allow me to be a part of just a little bit of his purpose. Were you present when Troy actually prayed to receive Christ as yes, Savior? Yes, there in the office. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Let's praise the Lord for Troy coming to Christ and God using Mike. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate that. I'm going to invite your attention to Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18 in just a moment, but let's see what happens in this chapter. The Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit in the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now this is very powerful stuff. Not to solicit him to do evil. James says God does never, never does that. 
But he does set up an environment to, quite frankly, validate for us and strengthen us and encourages us. He would never seduce us to do evil. But he does put us in an environment where we are tried, not tempted, but tried. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself was led of the Holy Spirit to go to a desert place where he would be tempted. In uh, verse 2, after 40 days and 40 nights, so he was led for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted. And at the end of that time, Satan came and tempted him. And you know the passage, you can read it earlier. And each time the Lord Jesus Christ answered the seduction, the words of Satan, that the Lord has said, the Bible says, he quoted passages, and successfully, uh, quite frankly, stood off the temptations of the wicked one, a great formula. My sermon's not on that today, but certainly a lot could be found there. And then the Bible says in verse 11, then the devil left him and angels came and attended him, which is so typical. When you've gone through a real fiery trial and you seem so overwhelmed, the Spirit of God comes and ministers to you. And then after that, verse 11 and verse 12 picks up to his temptation. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, speaking of John the Baptist, so he left a period of temptation, angels ministered to him, and now he would say of John the Baptist, no man has ever lived that's greater than John. And he's in prison. And the story is told there. In verse 17, after this period, the Bible says in verse 17 of our text, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Some have asked, well, did you, what did Jesus actually do? I thought he walked around with a halo and kind of looked, you know. No, he blended right into the audience, but he also was the preacher of the gospel. He embodied the gospel, but he also preached the gospel. Verse 17 and his sermon was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then we pick up in verse 18. So the screen, I think, behind you. And Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 19. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20. At once they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Let's pause for prayer. This is your word. It is infallible. It is without error. It is the only perfect thing that we will handle this day and only perfect thing on this earth. It will always stand. And as we read from your word today, our heart, Lord, is stirred within us because we read the life of Christ, a segment of it, and we glean from this text your call and direction. So help us, Lord. Help us to learn, every single one of us. There's such a multiplicity of concerns in this room, parents, grandparents, sons and daughters, coming into this uh, place of worship today with all kinds of things they've left behind. Many have left so many good and great things. Some have left troubles and burdens. Some bring their burdens right into this very room in the midst of time of worship and praise, the opening of your word, a hearing of a testimony, they're heavy burdened and laden. So I bring these to you, Lord. 
And I ask that when we're done, we'll be more in love with Christ, more in love with His Word, more inspired because we've been in Your presence. And our load will be a little lighter and our step a little higher because we know there's a God in the universe that's in charge and He cares for my soul. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like to say that uh, Shannon and I collaborated on every song that was chosen today, but we did not. I just made a recommendation for an invitation song at the end of my message. But my wife were sitting, and I were sitting on the back, and we leaned over during that one song about following the Lord. And it's so applicable to our text today. I've entitled my sermon, Follow God, It's All or Nothing. Follow God. It's all or nothing. In first place, what does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to follow God? Well, we need to be sensitive to his calling. Jesus said to the disciples, come and follow me. Most commentaries, and if you do a thorough study of this, this was not the first encounter with Simon. Simon probably knew Jesus a year before this actual event. We see that in the John passage. So it wasn't a total stranger that came upon him and Simon had heard of of him and some of the miracles. But nonetheless, when he came and spoke, if if Simon was to follow God, he had to listen to his voice. And so I would say the prerequisite to quite honestly following God, knowing it's all or nothing, are you listening? Are you listening? Amidst uh, Simon's hectic schedule of casting out the nets, they were in a circular form with weights on the end. And He was a veteran, probably generations ahead of him, had been successful fishermen. And uh, Jesus was, frankly, the son of a carpenter. And Simon already acknowledged to a great extent that he was Christ, God of very God, at least he would soon do so. But nonetheless, he was busy about his task. I'm sure he's preoccupied. He and his brother were doing what they had been doing for so long, and their livelihood, in fact, their very existence determined on how well they did fishing that day. So I have no doubt in my mind they were focused. They had things on their heart and things on their mind. They were bearing the weight of the world, the responsibility of their family and of his wife. And yes, Simon was married. How do I know that? Because later it says he has a mother-in-law who was ill. So Simon had a wife and a family, an extended family, and quite frankly, a reputation in the community. And all these things, I have no doubt in my mind, he was focused on his normal day of work. Kind of like a fireman that went to work one day and then saw a fellow fireman studying the Bible on the computer during some off time. Just, quite frankly, going about a regular day. And then God speaks. So if we're to follow God, it assumes this prerequisite. Am I listening? Am I listening to his voice? Amidst all those who, quite frankly, are well-intentioned, some, quite frankly, are spiritual and others are not so spiritual and there's... There's work demands and responsibility demands that amidst all the hustle bustle of life, if we're going to be a follower of God, we must live a lifestyle of hearing his voice. Verse 19, Jesus spoke and Simon heard. Is God speaking? Is he calling? Four outstanding things, and I would just submit on this. God will speak through his word. Do you know that's why the devil doesn't want you to read your Bible? He don't mind you own a copy. But many of you, possibly, if you're like most of America, you've gone through an entire week, and the last time, some of you possibly, have uh, 
open the scripture for the first time today or you're reading it from what I put on the PowerPoint. Do you know that God's primary method of speaking to us is through his written word? Basically, the Bible is a composition of 66 books that basically is a bunch of stories all put together, inspired by the Holy Spirit over a period of 15 to 1600 years. Different individuals he selected to give us his word. Jesus will never speak in contradiction to the word of God. He will never lead you to violate the Ten Commandments that even the secular or unsaved world knows. He will never lead you in conflict with any of the specific principles of the scripture. In fact, I'll go the other way. Often God will lead you as you are reading the scripture, meditating on the scripture, and as you are looking and thinking and praying, and you're listening to the voice of God speak through his word, he speaks and he calls the word of God, the spirit of God. The days of the tabernacle are all over. Because when Jesus Christ came and then lived this life, sinless life on planet earth and left, he said, I must depart because there's one that's going to come, a great comforter. He will come and be with you and he will be in you. So every single one of us who knows Jesus Christ as personal savior, whether you were saved yesterday or you've been saved for years, you not only have the tangible, physical word of God in your possession, now, boy, am I enjoying all the, almost with rapid speed, I just click and roll on my new iPad. I'm studying the scripture and rolling down and bringing up resources and commentaries. It is so easy to study the Bible now. It's in our hands. So there it is, the tangible word of God. And then we have, along with that, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. He speaks. And we know that when he speaks, he will not brag about himself. In fact, the greatest indication that the Spirit of God is with us is that we are constantly thinking about Christ because that's what the Bible says. He will not speak of himself. He will be exalting the one who's worthy of celebrity, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we exalt him. And so God will speak through his word. God will speak, of course, through his spirit. God also speaks through authorities. I've often heard some say, well, I've God's led me in Though my dad has said I have to be in a curfew at 12 o'clock and my dad's not even saved. My mom's not the spiritual Christian she should be. So 17-year-old teenager living at home who's really involved in a youth group and really sold out, goes to camps and retreats and mission trips and does devotionals. All of a sudden he's got a special word from God. And dad says I must be back home by midnight and he justifies in his mind I'm going to stay a little bit later because I'm going to maybe witness to a friend or I'm doing this good thing and he comes home with a full confidence, and really it's a self-deception. Well, Dad, who isn't really a Christian, the Spirit of God has spoken to me, and uh, he's told me to be a witness, and I'm home an hour late because, and that same Bible I would say to that teenager, I've dealt with, it's not just teenagers, it's adults. You measure a person's Christianity not so much just by their manifestation of their worship and praise and even teaching and instruction, how do they respond to authority? A Christian who really is walking with God. In fact, it's usually a self-assessment. I was at a deacon's meeting not long ago, and, and uh, our moderator, we had a business meeting. We have business meetings, and we're structured that we have a person voted on designated to be a moderator. In this case, it happens to be David Tabor. And he was asking for some input and advice, and, and the interaction of our conversation said, David, just remember this. 
I know that I got a 94% vote of the church and I am the pastor and technically I can pull rank, but the truth of it is in the two years that I've been here, have you not noticed that I would like to think and that everyone should also comply, that you are the moderator. You at that business meeting for that moment are the person in authority. And the way I display my attitude and action towards you is a direct, direct reflection, a manifestation for all those who may be curious. Is that person really an authentic Christian? If I am, I'll be a gentleman in my attitude and response and even in obedience to, in this case, just a moderator who meets once a month in our business meeting. So I say to the 17-year-old who comes to me proud, well, I'll tell you, I was out witnessing my dad, and I suffered for God's sake because now my dad's grounding me for two months and taking the keys from the car, but I've done it for Jesus. And I have to say to that 17-year-old, I have to side with your daddy. Because Romans 13 is also in the Bible. God speaks through his word. He speaks through his spirit. He speaks through authorities. He also speaks through circumstances. Becky and I were scheduled to get in our car this afternoon and drive to to Roanoke, visit her mom, and also off to Lynchburg. Our primary purpose is going to Lynchburg. I got a call yesterday, and I rented a car because both my cars have 100,000 miles on them. And we rented a car yesterday in Litchfield, by, through Barry uh, Zerker's advice. I, I rented a car through, over there, but they're not open on Saturday. I had to pick the car, and I really didn't need it until Monday, but I paid for it anyhow and got it. Yesterday, I made a call back home, and my friends back in Lynchburg said, Hey, let me tell you what's going on. As I referenced this earlier, is that we had that. Uh, that Ohio Valley unusual event happened that swept through at 60 mile an hour, the storm at 60 mile an hour, and the winds themselves gusting up to 180 to 100 miles an hour, absolutely knocked out and devastated everything. And so all the power is out in so many homes, 75%, 3 million homes are without power. And so I looked at Becky and she looked at me and I said, you know what I think God's saying? Put off a week going to Virginia. I don't control tornadoes or respond to them. And so God often speaks through circumstances. You may be on a ship, a storm comes up, and the boys in the ship throw you over and you get swallowed by a fish. That's a good circumstance, evidently. Also, God may say, I'm bringing a rain, get in the ark. These are circumstances. Now, I don't think we start with circumstances, but circumstances must stop us. If I follow God and it's all or nothing, I must be sensitive to his call. Second of all, I'm shaped by his spirit. The Bible says, then Jesus was led by the spirit in the desert to be tempted by the devil. Then the devil left him and the angels came and ministered to him in verse 11. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, virtually all of you could quote this passage, or at least have a paraphrase understanding. I'm reading. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Hey, are some of you, or maybe many of you, are facing a decision? Are you living out a decision and you're saying, boy, I wonder if I make it, I mean, Honestly, this is a good choice, and this is a good choice, and this is a good choice. All three are favorable choices, and i got people I admire and respect, and quite frankly, these are good people, and yet, choice number four is not to choose any of the three, and I'm, I'm really seeking to hear from God, and God, I'm listening to you. Boy, those really heighten my senses when 
I'm seeing the circumstances come into my life and I'm reading his word and I'm listening to his voice and I'm getting godly counsel and I see what even authority is instructing me. But how do I know to follow him? Because his spirit is speaking. Following him according to a definition. What is that? Following God means I'll do, quite frankly, whatever he wants. Do you know that following God puts no No conditions on God. So God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. So if we are going to follow God, we must understand his definition. Following him means no reservation, no limitation, no hesitation. God, it is all about you. You want me to leave my nets here? My career? My stability? My, uh, quite honestly, all my support systems? Lord, you want me to disengage from my friends? You want me to relocate from this location? Lord, is that really what? And by and large, following God says to God in advance. Now, I'm going to have some emotion about this decision. I really don't want to sell that house. I don't want to relocate on that job, even though you've gotten some kind of a a deal. Lord, I I really don't like the idea of my daughter getting married to that dweeb. (laughs) And by the way, I will say to every man who's going to marry a woman, there is a dad behind the scenes and you've got stacks of cards against you because will there ever be a man good enough for a a man's daughter? And every dad who has a daughter, can I hear you say amen? amen? You know what I'm talking about there. But you even have to say as that dad, Lord... I see that guy, and there's never a guy that's been good enough for my daughter. But Lord, it is totally your business. I take my hands off the wheel. I sound like Carrie Underwood a little bit there. I take my, I break into singing here in just a moment. I take my hands off the wheel, Lord, and I let you grab the steering wheel of my life, and you absolutely take total direction. Shaped by his spirit basically has the spirit's definition, whatever he wants. It also implies the spirit's timing. He says, follow me whenever he determines. Sometimes a delayed decision. I was sharing, uh, witnessing with someone recently, and I told them what I've told you, oh, it's been almost a year ago, at least according to my notes, and I try to keep record of this. My closest friend, Rick. I got saved. He had, not, he had been saved, but not a follower of Christ until I got saved my senior year in high school. And Rick and, and I have been buddies since sixth grade. When I approached him about coming to Christ, he told me, I'm already saved, Dave. And I was shocked by that. But nonetheless, we made amends. And we started, honestly, I got saved on a Friday night. And within a few weeks, a word on the street got that the big man on campus, I was a student body president, the captain of the football team in my little public high school there in Northeast Ohio. And, I, one by one, began to invite churches, and I wore my Letterman sweater, and Rick played the guitar. He had a little bit of an Elvis feel to him back then, and he would sing how great thou art. He could hit the high notes and low notes, and he was short and fat, and I was tall and skinny, and, and I wore my Letterman sweater, and we were kind of the talk of the town. So next thing I know, we're getting all these gigs. Churches invited me, and I just got saved. I didn't know what you should do or not do, except I just stood up and gave him a testimony. Often the English teacher that led me to Christ, she would show up to these events and I'd do kind of what Mike did today. Mike stood up and basically just, well, here's what happened. I had this conversation and if you heard Mike's testimony today, he gave that gospel to that man and that man received that prayer. And so my buddy, my lifelong friend, Rick, was there when uh, I got an offer to go to Arlington, Texas to a small Bible school. 
turning away from those two small town scholarships to play basketball. I went to a school that uh, wouldn't have a basketball team until I went there. And Rick said, I'm going with you. But then he delayed. His mother said, Ricky, that's what she called him, Ricky, why don't you wait a semester? Arlington, Texas, almost 2,500 miles away. Why don't you just wait a semester? Dave will still be there, and he can kind of pave the way for you. And he delayed. Can I tell you what happened? First of all, I am convinced. I think, Rick, if he was here, he would say this to you. God spoke not only to me, but also to him. That the next step for him was, quite frankly, was to go to a Bible school, to call to ministers, to call to prepare to minister. And he should have gone. And then time passed, three marriages. Do you know where my close friend Rick lives today? If God doesn't have a sense of humor, here it is. He's living in Arlington, Texas. He's faithful, by the way, in his church, serving God. And I'm so proud of him for that. But here we are, lifelong buddies. And I'm thinking how different his life would have been what she's talking with me about. Shaped by his spirit means his definition. Follow Christ whatever he wants. Second of all, his timing to follow whenever he wants it. And in third place, his location. The Spirit of God says, look, I know how touched you are by growing up here. And I know many of you who've been generations here, you've watched your sons and daughters struggle with not being able to find work nearby. They go off to school, get a degree in education, and jobs are few and far between and the kinds of jobs that are here. And, and you wrestle with that and, and often... Choices are made based on, well, I'll tell you, it must tie in with the location. If you are a follower of God, you'll never make a location an idol. All of us want the perk and the benefit. Oh, God's hands on me. I'm going where he wants me to go. But we also want to kind of put restrictions on God. And here's what I've learned in my life. Start in advance, raise your hand, say, God, I'll volunteer to do whatever you're about to ask me to do. And then find out the details of how much of a, a quite honestly, almost an idiot he's going to ask you to take a leap of faith, go a direction, do a certain thing. Some may embarrass you or quite honestly uh, uh, make you feel insecure. It's not quite where you are. You know what I'm talking about. Being flat dab in the center of God's will sometimes will put you in a location that's the most uncomfortable place for you to be. Shortly after I was saved, just within a few weeks, I was in speech class in my high school. I changed my speech, and I moved my speech. It was extemporaneous, and model had a format to deal. My speech was on dating. Can you imagine that? And I went from, quite frankly, the athletic student leader with a girlfriend sitting in class to giving biblical basis for how to have a right relationship that honors Christ. What was my close friend's response? He must be on drugs. <laughs> That's how they responded to me. They even put an article in my local newspaper. What has happened to Dave Adams? Well, what happened to me is that plumber got a hold of me and began walking me through the scripture. And that wife of his that led me to Christ and that great local church, the First Baptist Church in New Philadelphia, and that youth group, I began to see the word of God and the will of God. And all of a sudden I realized it's all about him. Not about me. And following God without any reservation. Uh, quite frankly, I'm, I'm, I, first of all, when Art's in a room, you see him because he's so big. But I'm thinking about Art at this stage in his life, I think is an example. Decided, I'm leaving my retirement home. I'm going up to that crazy city up there in D.C. area, Alexandria. 
You know, how odd of God. And so following God involved being sensitive to his call and shaped by his spirit, spirit, the spirit's definition, whatever, the spirit's timing, whenever, the spirit's location, wherever he suggests. And then number three, following God involves a surrender. A surrender of what, Dave? Our greatest fears. Matthew 14, verse 25, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now that's a freaky out kind of observation. How do I know that? Well, look at the disciples' response. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, this is the guy Jesus called who was fishing. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Following God, all or nothing. The voice was given, Jesus said. Longest sermon, quickest invitation in the Bible. What was the sermon? One word, come. It was also an invitation. And all the stay in the boat brothers had all of their opinions. They didn't want to take the risk. They didn't want to hear that voice. But Simon climbed out of the boat and the Bible records only one other person's ever done it. Jesus Christ I'm speaking of. And now we see Simon. The Bible says, then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. Following God all or nothing means an absolute total surrender, even if God tells you to do something that is kind of weird. Think about that for a moment. May I suggest to us in this room this morning, some of us, may be missing the tremendous benefit that is ours by being a follower of Jesus Christ. Because we're reserved, because we put stipulations on God, because we'll say, God, you can do all of this, but what ends up happening, we miss the blessing that comes with being in perfect obedience, doing exactly what he tells us to do. Look, I know you know the rest of the story, Peter stepped out of the boat, and the Bible says he walked on the water. I'd sooner be in the perfect will of God with the probability of sinking and blowing it. Knowing that God himself said, come, and you obey. And to the potential ridicule of all those around you, and even your own failure, you step out of the boat, and the Bible records he walked. But you also know the end of that story, he began to sink. And for the sake of my sermon, I'm not going to go into that detail. I've got a whole sermon on that one. But don't be too hard on Peter. He did what no other man has ever done since. He walked on the water because he followed God in an attitude that's all or nothing. A surrender. The Bible says that I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. This following God involves a surrender of my greatest fear. All of us have at least one fear. As a child, I was afraid of the dark right up into my high school years, slept with a teddy bear as a high schooler because I was alone in that house. Dad staying with his wife and fam- family, my mom living with her husband and family. I'm staying in a house by myself, scared to death, panic attacks. But when I got gloriously saved at 17, I confronted fear in a whole different way. First of all, the teddy bear later turned into a, 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 a pillow. In case someone broke in, they would stab the pillow before they stabbed me. 
ball bat by the bed. I had a, a weapon, but I know it was no match. A frightened little boy in a six-foot-four body at the time. Joe, president of the student body. Joe, captain of the teams. Almost at times in fetal position alone in a house. Then Jesus came into my life. And I realized, though, the fear somewhat is still present. And for months it was. I said, Lord, and later I'd pick up the fact, though someone slay me, I'm going to trust in you. What is your greatest fear? If you're following God all or nothing, you surrender to him. And then, number four, submission of my greatest prize. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around Paul, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Jesus said, I'm the one whom you're persecuted. Now get up and go into the city, and I'll tell you what you must do. He submitted all of those things. Paul did. It's our example. If you're going to follow God, all or nothing, it really boils down to giving all your personal relationships. There are times, if you're not careful, you will miss God's call and then the benefit of following God because you hold on reserve some things you really prize. And the top of our list, most of the time, has to do with relationships. For a teenager, that boyfriend or that girlfriend, or their close buddies, even to the place they'll disobey and go against their own parents because they don't want to sacrifice the possibility of their friend rejecting them. As you get older, you form other types of relationships. Good friends at the office or at the plant. Sometimes as you uh, grow older, your peers as an adult, their opinion means so much. Even in a congregation like ours, there's natural groupings that happen in a church our size. And you form deep relationships. I was sharing with a group of people yesterday. I'm 60 years of age. Some of my, I'm now determined, Becky and I concur on this, some of our very closest and most meaningful friends are in this room right now. Few are out on the road because they're with our teenagers. Andrew and Donnie are down there with our teenagers at a camp. These relationships mean so much to us. And quite frankly, often decisions that we make even at this stage in our life are greatly impacted by putting those relationships ahead of God. I mean, by the way, don't you love your spouse? Don't you love your kids? Don't you love your parents? The Apostle Paul, when he was eating the dust of the donkeys there on the Damascus Road, God was appealing to him, I know of your past and you're a member of the, former member of the Sanhedrin. I know you have a prestigious position among the religious people. I know you're perceived of all these different things. These are your buddies riding with you. But when he used the word Lord, he was also acknowledging all of the people in my life are second to you. My wife. Some suggested he was married, and probably was because he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which required him to be married. We don't know much about that. If he had children, my kids are secondary to God, all or nothing. That boss that I have that I'm tempted a little bit to somewhat violate ethics and maybe even the law, and I want to please him, God more pleasing you, even with demotion and termination. So submission of those things I prize the most have to do with my personal relationship. Second, my past accomplishment. Paul had to leave his past credentials, all the things that he had achieved. And basically in following God, it meant I leave him behind me and I move forward. 
Submission to the greatest prize, not only my personal relationship, past accomplishment, but my present prestige. Many of you, I'm looking especially adults in the faces right now, God's allowed you the privilege of finally selling in to a place where you have a, a, a place of influence, if not a place of authority, and, and, and it's comfortable there, and it's familiar there, and, and quite frankly, you have a certain degree of credentials. Some of you have more things maybe behind your name and some less things, but real credentials, being a mother, being a father. You hold these positions, whatever they are, titles that you have at your office or your plan or on your campus. If you're going to follow God all or nothing with reckless abandonment, it means, God, I also give you my present prestige and also my promising future. I got all these dreams and goals. And I've got it all mapped out. When I was 22 years of age, I started my 10-year goals. I was told by Nelson Keeter, became the administrative assistant to Chuck Colson, who's now deceased. Keener looked at me and challenged me to begin writing 10-year goals. I got married when I was 19. Three or four years later, Becky corrected me. How, old, how many years later after we were married did we have Jeremy? You were there. 19. <laughs> married in 71. He's, his birthday is in 1974. So a little three years. I know we left Texas and you were looking really swell as we came into Lynchburg. And um, I remember looking at all those events of, of my life and thinking about my plans and the future. And, and I started writing 10-year goals with great specificity. I learned that, for example, how old are you? 31. 31. 10 years from now, you'll be 41. Think about that. Let's go reverse. 10 years ago, how old were you? Now let's take a look at the 31-year-old man looking back at the 21-year-old man you once were and think for a moment, what's happened in 10 years? Well, first of all, there's some things surrounding you. Correct? Wonderful things and blessings. And by the way, perfectly behaved. I don't know what he said to you today to get you where you are, but I have never seen as well-behaved children as I'm looking at right now. In 10 years. Oh, that's great. Even applause. And then you think about it. 10 years ago, I was just, can I just say to all of you here that I'm looking at this morning, 10 years from now, you're going to be 10 years older no matter what you decide to do. And if someone's got to run your life under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you should run it. So I was so convicted, read books, got the deal, and started a grueling pattern in my life that continues to this current moment. I've written 10-year goals. Every January for 30 days, I revisit them in time of prayer and fasting and ask the Lord, is this what you're looking? And every course I've taken, every decision I've made, all those different things were visited in January. Ask my wife, it's the most depressing time in my life there is because it's grueling and I'm, I'm following God all or nothing. Can I tell you what's happened over the years, including this year? Certainly two years ago, God interrupted my long year, 10-year plan and says, ah, stop right there, redirecting you. Do you know that following God, all or nothing, involves a total submission of even your future? Now I'm looking in the faces of men and women, and if statistics bear it out, Though most of us in this room are sincerely here, you're religious by the fact you're even here today. While friends are doing other things, here you are. And you've made a statement that religion and a relationship with Christ for most of you is very important. And yet, nonetheless, many Christians departmentalize God. I'm going to church. Okay, poop. There's your token. I maybe even put something in offering. I'm walking out the door. And you go back to 
a different life. But following God is, this is kind of like a huddle before the Super Bowl final play. And we come, we huddle, we pray, we worship, and then you go through those double doors in just a moment into your life where you continue in your life of service with reckless abandonment, following God. And if you're doing that, can I just tell you, you can trust God. You can trust God with your kids, trust God with your job, trust God with your possessions, trust God with your health. If you really are a person who understands God so much bigger than any of us, and by the way, he is worthy of us following him, that in following him we are sensitive to his voice. We are shaped by his spirit. We surrender to our greatest, our God and our Holy Spirit. We surrender to him our greatest fear. And we also give God those things we prize the most. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment of reflection. As you stop and for a moment from reading that text, what is God saying to you? Maybe the greatest thing that you'll hear today is is that today is a day of salvation. You begin on square one. You stop and listen to the word of God and God is saying to you, look, all these religious things and the Bible things, these are good, but I want you in heaven with me, God's saying. And right now you have at least some sins in your life that's keeping you from, from a relationship with me that I long to have with you and God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. Old Tebow wrote that on his, on his eyes, as I mentioned last week in my message. You know, a college player now off to play in New York. And this committed Christian said, It is the gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you're here this morning, and life's a little uncertain for you, and and, and you need to take a great look into your heart and say, Lord, I need to follow you. And so in following you, Lord, I ask, God, what are you saying? And if you don't know Christ as Savior, if you were to die today, you're not certain where you'd spend eternity. I can tell you what the Word of God says. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved.